Well, it is a good evening to you and how you be. William Haynes here, you there at 7.02 with nine seconds to go right along with it on this Monday night. A new era in Tomahawk Talk, April 25th, 2022. Tomahawk Talk is live from the WVFS studio in Tallahassee, Florida for 20 Diffenbaugh. You're listening to us at 89.7 on your FM dial and wvfs.fsu.edu online. A reminder as well that this show is posted as a podcast tomorrow. But we can't contain the excitement anymore. Jackson Bakich and the co-pilot's chair to my left are two esteemed panelists to my right with Kylie Brennan and Amanda Golson. And our producer Jack Oliaro peeking in from behind the glass. We'll try and get him on the show tonight. I had a little technical difficulties to begin the show, but we'll see if we can get him on a bit later. It's not often that a show will have this much turnover at one time. And with the semester winding to a close, what better opportunity to meet the crew? And that's exactly what the show will be. We have some pretty big FSU news, as well as NBA playoffs and NFL draft going on, which we will get to. But also, we want this show to be a fun opportunity for you, the listener, to get to know us. You're most likely familiar with my voice. I spent this semester as Gabe's co-host here on the program. I've recently been promoted to director of the sports department here at the station, so I'll be overseeing all our great operations as well as hosting this weekly program. It's now my honor to introduce for the first time as the new co-host of Tomahawk Talk, Jackson Bakich. You most likely know Jackson for his rise to fame writing for the Floridian, but most of us here at the station know him as the guy from Lake County. Jackson, how does it feel in the new chair? Well, I'll tell you what, if I was any better, I think I'd be dead. And, and you said it was an honor to introduce me. Well, sir, it is an honor to be working for you in this department. It is an honor to be on this radio show every week, and it is an honor and a blessing uh, to be a part of this group. Um, we have a great group here, and I'm uh, really excited to get going. So give us a, a peek behind the scenes. We Obviously, I made the joke. We know you as the guy from Lake County. You're, you, you're a guy that likes to tell stories. You're a good storyteller. There's no question about that. We always like to bring in back home in Lake County. We did this in Lake County. What's with the pride from Lake County? Let us in. It's just 352 true and through. I mean, everything about Lake County is perfect, right? A thousand lakes, golf courses, like four of them within a square mile. Good hometown barbecue cooking. High school sports are there. <laughs> No, it's just a great place to grow up, and uh, I'm really proud of where I'm coming from, and I'm really proud to uh, be from Central Florida, and I, I really enjoy living there, especially I'll be going back there in the summer, and I um, hope I can raise my kids there. Well, Jackson and myself have built up a great uh, rapport over the last few semesters, and we can't wait to share the air together on a weekly basis. Next up, we have our new sports communication director, Kylie Brennan. Kylie's been putting out some great stuff on our social media lately, you might have seen, including some promos for tonight's show. She also helped coordinate the awesome photo shoot with all of us that you'll be seeing more and more of at V89Sports on Instagram. Definitely make sure to check that one out. You'll be getting to know her as the person bringing our name to new heights, but a lot of us already know her as quite the dad joke artist. Kylie, great to have you here tonight. Great to be here, William, and yes, I am pretty fond of dad jokes, and I'm really excited to be sharing everything on the social media. Thanks for the plug there. Uh, super happy about how that reel turned out, how the photo shoot turned out, because I think that we all looked uh, pretty snazzy, if I do say so myself. Um, 
Your Jacksonville Jaguars are on the clock right now. Does that make you nervous when you have the first pick? This is the first time in a, quite a while that they've been the number one, if not the first time. William, I think I'd be lying to you if I said that I still felt anything as a Jaguars fan. I do not feel the nerves. Um, you know, this is this is not our first rodeo. Believe it or not, we actually had the first round the first draft pick of the draft last year too. That's so, true. Trevor you know, Lawrence, the man. We're we're ready. We we prepared, you know. It seems so long ago Trevor Lawrence was on the draft that it was a year ago. I mean, one of so highly tattered out of college and now it seems like he's just one of the guys uh, and maybe he'll have a new offensive tackle uh, to play with his upcoming season. Uh, we will see. Next up we have Amanda Golson who is our new chief anchor. She'll be running the sports reports that go out over the air a few times a day. You probably know Amanda from what I've learned is now a critically acclaimed feature piece that she created that showcased our department. It's on at VD9Sports on Instagram if you haven't seen it already. One thing I've learned about Amanda is that if you're with her at a party and all of a sudden you can't find her, check the nearest basketball court because she's probably putting some shots up. Amanda, nice to have you on the show tonight. It's great to be here. I'm so happy to be with all of you guys for our first go at things and um, really excited to work with everyone next semester. I think it's gonna, we've got a good foundation built here. You know, we are like one of the youngest cores, I think in a while. But that means, you know, we're going to build and keep stable for however many years we're here. So I'm really excited to be here. And, uh, it's, yeah. It's we're new bloods. Yeah. That's what we new are. Bloods. You know, that's our group chat name. And we, uh, we have it with pride. And uh, like you said, Amanda, it's, it's, it's going to be a great run. we got a lot of time. But we're also excited to get things going here quickly. And I think this, sh this show is uh, perfect evidence of that. And now this is the first time that I can remember that we're going to be trying to use the microphone in the prod booth. So bear with us if we're having some difficulties. But I wanted to introduce now, finally, our new producer, Jack Oliaro, behind the glass. Jack's got some big shoes to fill with Sebastian Angel Riano and Scott Clements now becoming V89 alumni. They uh, headed production here at the department for quite a while. And while I'm not sure, Jack, you could fit their literal shoes, there's no question you will metaphorically. He also stood in the way of playing Meet the Mets to open the show. So depending on where you come down on that, you have him to thank. And we'll try and go to him now, our new producer, everybody, Jack Oliaro. And that looks like it's going to be a no for now in the prod booth. So Jack, if you can, go ahead and slide in the, uh, in the tank as we work to get that uh, out of control. Or back in That's control. That's a great opening statement, Jack. Yeah, it is. It's just, just couldn't the, feed, agree more. the feedback blaring through. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly our thoughts. <laughs> and that one is uh, when we get him in the tank. We have him now. Jack Oliaro. Hello. What's up? I'm here. How you doing, Jack? You doing all right? Doing good. Just uh, just ran from the other room. Uh, turns out that mic. Uh, maybe not as work as well as we thought, but we'll get that worked out later. And uh, but yeah, excited uh, excited to take over this new role. Uh, I've been very uh, help uh, very uh, excited to work with uh, Sebastian and Scott throughout this entire process, and them um, and earning this position is a huge honor, and I greatly appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to what what's coming. Uh, but I do stand firm on the uh, turning down the meeting the Mets call. <laughs> <laughs> he came in clutch there so jack probably go ahead and stay in there we'll have jack oliaro at halftime about 7 30 
uh, with a sports update. So we look forward to hear from him there. But first of all, we have some big news in the FSU world. Before we get to the new soccer coach that was announced, a bit of an update on Amarius Mims, the offensive tackle from Georgia that was in the transfer portal a couple of weeks ago. There's nothing new on the front. He's going to be staying at Georgia. Kirby Smart and company was able to keep him in Athens. But there was a report that I saw that came out today that said 54% of college football FBS players that entered the transfer portal, 54% only went to new schools. So that means just about half ended up going through the portal process just to stay with their own school. So I know there was um, a much news made of Amarius Mims not going to Florida State after it seemed that we had reeled him in. There was publications that had already announced it as fact that he would be in Tallahassee. At the end of it, he stays in Georgia, and uh, I'll just throw this out. I mean, based on this statistic, that just seems kind of par for the course. And, and a, a Georgia team that had just won the national championship, I think maybe not that he came to a sentence, but you know, you, you test the waters out, and ultimately he decided to to stay where he was. Yeah, and I mean, you talk about that publication saying, you know, he was going there. You know, there was also there's also been reports that you know something happened with with Mims back home. Uh, that caused him to end his recruitment to uh, to Florida State early, and he ends up going home back to Georgia to kind of deal with that situation. But uh, you know, Mims he, he's a, he's a great talent. He he really has an opportunity to, to shine if he keeps it going down there in Georgia. But or excuse me, up there in Georgia. But uh, Florida State really missed out on him. That's for sure. Yeah, they did add a couple of, of offensive line transfers. They got one from Wisconsin that uh, Alex Atkins had got a lot of credit for bringing in. So it seems year after year it is slowly getting better, and we know as Florida State football fans like how essential it is to have an offensive line really to run a whole team. So just wanted to throw that out there about Mems and, and put things in perspective uh, from a national perspective in that way. But the big news today, uh, Brian Penske is announced as the new soccer coach. Athletic director Michael Alford uh, had a bit of a press conference to announce that today. Uh, Brian Penske comes in. Uh, this all, all this news is in the wake of Mark Kerkorian's abrupt uh, basically resignation on March 29th. We talked about it right after it happened, um, but if you missed that, basically he had sent an email to about 10 or 15 local Tallahassee sports writers uh, and just media members around the city that it was just an email that said, I'm pursuing other opportunities. I'll no longer be at FSU. Uh, this is not the, you know, the Sue Semrau retirement type of thing that, that you're used to seeing. Um, it's, I think, greatly imp implied you read between the lines that there was a, a bit of a schism there in the relationship. And so uh, Kerkorian is out. All of a sudden, probably the greatest uh, program in college soccer, women's college soccer, is looking for a new head coach. And they now have uh, that man in Brian Penske. Penske has spent the last decade as the head coach of the Tennessee uh, Volunteers women's team. They won the 2021 SEC championship, and I believe uh, they made it to the round of 16. They would have played Florida State if they had gotten past Michigan, who FSU went on to beat. Uh, last year at Tennessee, he went 23-0, and which was an historic season for them. I believe you know, the most wins, the best winning percentage, the least losses, so uh, the best that they've ever done. So obviously this is a guy in Penske that this is as high as his stock has been. He's bounced around places, as we'll talk about. So uh, peaking at the right time, and now he's taken over the reins in Tallahassee. He's got a career record of 185, 111 and 45. He spent seven seasons at Maryland a couple of decades ago from 2005 to 2011 and that was back if you'll recall when the Maryland Terrapins were in the ACC before they departed for the Big Ten. He oversaw the most successful three-year run in Maryland's program history. 
And just uh, if you hadn't already read the, the press release, it's been put out in quite a few places. But Penske says that FSU, they're the best program in the country. Kerkorian uh, is the best in the business. And, and Kerkorian's 17-year run was unparalleled, if you'll recall. Uh, three national championships. Uh, one, they went to three national championship games in just the last four years alone. And over 40 players that are playing professionally, both in the States and overseas. Um, so, obviously, big shoes to fill for Brian Penske there. And he also mentioned it wasn't just the athletic department and the soccer program that he was looking for, but he also said, Penske did, quote, the status of the university as a top-tier public institution academically is just as impressive as the athletic history, and, and that's something that uh, Richard McCullough, the university president, echoed as well, that this is a program that's not just looking to make uh, and have success on the field, but they want to have you know players that are great in the classroom and go on to do things uh, outside of sport, and FSU likes his talent, his drive, his ACC success, as I mentioned, and uh, they're gonna th they're thinking that he's gonna be the nation's best coach. So as I said, big shoes to fill. Uh, Kikorian has had, as I said, an unparalleled level of success. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I, I think I think that's I think he's a home run hire. Uh, you have a man that um, has had success in the ACC, has had success in the SEC, has had uh, recent success. Um, someone that's at that national level, but also someone that can, uh, you know, keep us within that national championship conversation every year. And so, uh, I'm going to turn to our panelists. What do you all think about the new hire? Um, honestly, I remember the show that we did right after Kirkroyan, um essentially announced that he was leaving and I remember us just being kind of like in a state of, okay, this is kind of crisis mode. What what are we going to do here? This is a coach that's left this program as a national championship standing program, you know, coming off that high just as of last semester, what's going to happen? And I agree with Jackson that this is a really good hire. He seems to be the puzzle piece that kind of fits into our university as of right now, especially with President McCullough being more of the academic side um, president, more of the behind the scenes guy. It seems to kind of fit that status. Um, also, just... It, he seems like the guy for the job. I'm, I hope I hope we're correct on that. Uh, kind of hard to follow up someone that's won three national championships for you, but he seems he seems like the right guy here. Yeah, I think if anything, the bar is so high that it would be hard for anyone to upkeep. But I think for FSU, the thought process is if there's anyone that can maintain the juggernaut that they built, it's a guy that's built multiple juggernauts himself. That you know took Maryland uh, and also Tennessee, where he came from, to heights that they had never been before. Uh, this is a roster. They did lose some players. Jalen Howell, most notably, uh, is playing uh, here in the States professionally, but they've got um, still a great roster. They've got a veteran goaltender. They've got uh, one of the best center backs in the entire country. So as of right now, in the very immediate future, uh, they should still be in, in, in good shape. And, Kylie, I like kind of what you mentioned, uh, President Richard McCullough and also the athletic director, Michael Alford. They have not been in charge for very long, but in the short time that they have been, we've already seen – uh, a ton of stuff. There's been turnover um, on the coaching staff of both basketball teams. Um, Kerkorian obviously leaving. There's uh, been some some changes in, in the football program recently. So trying to find some stability around all the news that has been going on, and they're hoping that, that Brian Penske 
uh, can be that guy. So we turn the page from the soccer team as we now look to baseball. And this is something that I had talked about a week ago. They won uh, all four games last week. Their win uh, on Wednesday against Georgia Southern took their win streak to five, which was one of the best runs that they've had all season. But I said, you know, this is a great team that we're watching right now. Can we get some consistency? Can we get this for, for two weeks in a row? And ultimately, uh, we could not. They went on Wednesday in a comeback win over Georgia Southern, and they dropped two of three in Death Valley against a Clemson team that's uh, basically near the bottom in the in the Atlantic Division. So that was not a, a great team uh, going in as well. So, guys, we'll go kind of game, one, uh, game by game and then talk some overall takeaways. Um, to start off the week on Wednesday, a comeback 6-5 to five win in extra innings. It took 11 uh, to beat number 25 Georgia Southern here in Tallahassee. They trailed 5-1 to one going into the eighth inning. Jackson Nazu started the game, uh, giving up three runs and three innings pitched. There was kind of a disparity on who was going to be the mid the midweek starter moving forward, as it had been Carson Montgomery, and and now uh, head coach Mike Barton Jr. has has moved him into the Sunday starter role. So Nazu got the start on Wednesday. Uh, so they're down five to one. Flash forward to the bottom of the ninth. Jordan Carrion, who's on an absolute tear and really having his really his first signs of success of the season, at least at the plate, hit the tying double in that game. He went three for four with a couple of runs batted in, also walked twice. Um, so that tied the game after nine. They went to extras to decide a winner. Top of the 11th, things were shaky. It was bases loaded with two outs. And in comes the Sunday starter, Carson Montgomery, came in to face one batter and he struck him out to keep the game tied. In the bottom of the 11th, uh, Reese Albert hit a leadoff single, and then uh, Georgia Southern walked Shaver, carry on in uh, a bases loaded walk to Tyler Martin uh, to get the win on Wednesday. So they started off 1 0 on the week, then they headed uh, for a weekend series in Death Valley against Clemson. Clemson ended the Knowles five game winning streak Friday by a score of 6 to 4. Parker Messick started that game, went seven innings, allowed two runs over those seven, struck out eight. He's now up to 102 punchouts on the year. Uh, he left the game with a 4-2 to lead. Then Davis Hare allowed a grand slam uh, to blow the lead, and Clemson ended up hanging on. Trayton Rank had three hits. Carrion uh, was up to 14 hits in his past eight games, but the Knowles dropped the opener. Obviously, Florida State has two great starters in Parker Messick and Bryce Hubbard. There's, there's no question about that. Um, at least definitely early on in the season, they were probably the best one-two punch in all of college baseball. Uh, but Florida State has to have some more consistency with their weekend, or excuse me, with their weekday starters. They have to be able to start that week 1-0. and And uh, their bullpen, honestly, like we've talked about, I think it was, what, eight home runs? It uh, was. Given up, and that's obviously not all the bullpen, but... Uh, most of it was, though. Most of it, exactly. So... Uh, just need more consistency all around. You know, hitting slumps, they happen. Um, the team, the, basically the whole team was in one about a week ago. Uh, Bobby Schmurda. Um But, <laughs> um, you know, hit, hitting slumps don't happen, but pitching has to be consistent if, if you want any chance of winning at the collegiate level. So, uh, hopefully Mike Martin Jr. has got something up his sleeve. Yeah, and, and that you t we draw back to consistency. That's always what it's about, and especially in a in a sport uh, every day like baseball, the starters had gone kind of in a slump when things were going bad, and then when they won five in a row, the starters were a pretty big part of doing that. And then as the starters get a little bit better, then the bullpen starts to uh, starts to regress, and and so they've they've had struggles, particularly uh, this week with the bullpen. Um, going to the middle game, the only one that that Florida State won. 
uh, on Saturday. They took that game by a score of four to three. Bryce Hubbard went five and two thirds, giving up three runs, uh, had allowed seven hits, walked the batter as well. That that was about the the second or third start in a row where Bryce statistically looked well. I mean, went fair enough deep into the game. He didn't give up too many runs, but it was a struggle to get there. Mike Barton Jr., I mean, I've sat in his pressers before, and he talks about his ability to kind of just grit through some of those games when he's not really feeling his best. Um, so that's a valuable asset to have uh, when he can do that, and hopefully soon he'll he'll straighten it out and maybe hit that that second gear that uh, Parker Messick has been able to find. You could argue he's in a third or a fourth gear right now. Connor Whitaker followed uh, with three and a third hitless innings. It would have been perfect had he not hit a batter, but uh, Whitaker uh, dazzled out of the bullpen. The Knowles allowed uh, another three home runs, so it was um, all solo shots for the, the Clemson Tigers' only runs of the game. And then in the tie game, Tibbs hit a pinch hit home run in the seventh, and obviously with, with Whitaker dealing, the Knowles were able to take that one. So they even the series one game apiece going into Sunday and a rubber match, and uh, Clemson took that game, obviously. Carson Montgomery faced only seven batters as his, uh, really his first appearance as the Sunday starter. Uh, went through the first inning relatively clean, and then you got into the second inning, and he was not able to get a single out. Uh, Wyatt Crowell on cleanup duty out of the bullpen pitched five innings, allowing only one run. So after uh, you know the bullpen's kind of scrambling with your starter pitching an inning plus, Crowell did a good job to, to get the Mills through the middle innings. Uh, Knowles with a three-run first. They're up 3 nothing. erased immediately by a three-run homer, I think, in, this, in the second inning. So all of a sudden, it's, it's a tie game, and you got to start from scratch. Uh, top of the sixth, Carrion hit a double um, to drive in two and make it 5-3, to three, so they led there. And then uh, Davis Hare came in and got the loss, allowing three unearned runs. The Knowles committed five errors in that game, and that was another uh, major issue that they had. So before we go to kind of some final takeaways and how everyone's doing right now, I'll just throw it out. Um, another 500 week, you lose another weekend series, another Sunday loss. They've been horrible on Sundays, so um, they're going to take about a week off from conference play, but uh, it still doesn't seem like they've got it all figured out. I mean, I think bottom line errors really cost these games. You know, you can't do much about a Grand Slam. That's just, it happens. You know, it's unfortunate. Uh, I think our overwhelming amount of errors is really what cause this weekend and like you said the inconsistency in the bullpen that's got to change you know we can't have eight pitchers making appearances or whatever crazy number it was in one game like that's just that doesn't happen you know you need to have someone who can go in get the job done and you know move us along and not just have multiple guys coming in every inning you know that really you know that slows the game down it slows the down the morale of the whole team when your pitchers aren't you know, dealing as they should be. So I think once, I mean, obviously, you know, we've seen how our bullpen can handle. Uh, maybe this weekend was just a down weekend. You know, it happens. I think once, you know, we get the consistency, obviously, this team, I mean, this team has potential. You know, Jordan Carrion, I just want to say, he had, an, he's been having, the, like, incredible past, what, two weeks or something. Mm-hmm. I think since his birthday, he's like, gone on to just new man yeah he's become a whole new player and that's been really really exciting to see him you know move up in the lineup he was batting like maybe eighth or ninth and then moves up to second in the lineup. he hit lead off for the first time this year in clemson yeah for one of those games so it's been really cool you know and he's made amazing plays at short he's he's really been i think one of our guys this and brett roberts too i want to give him credit this weekend he played he played really well but you know, this ups and down, that's kind of how Florida State Athletics has been 
going recently, which, you know, it's not ideal, but you win some, you lose some, you move on, see how they can do against TCU this weekend. That should be interesting. They're, uh, what, t- top 20? They are, yeah, yeah this week's so poll. I guess this weekend will really, really show you what we're about. So that's all I got, yeah. Yeah, honestly, exactly what you mentioned on Jordan Carrion. Um, that's definitely a player that stood out this weekend for sure. And like you said, since his birthday, um, yeah. other than uh, him and Brett Roberts, honestly, like one of the things that I kind of questioned, especially, you know, we have Mike Martin Jr. And then Mike Martin to compare to is different coaching styles, because one of the things that I've noticed about this team is the bullpen has been something that we've been talking about nearly since the start of this season. You know, Jackson, you mentioned that we had one of the best one-two punches in baseball, and that's great, but like Amanda said, you can't have eight appearances from the bullpen in one game, so that really makes me beg the question of, okay, what are we doing on the side of player development? If we've known that this has been a problem all year, like, why are we still in this slump, you know, getting towards the end of the season or the end of the semester here, you know, kind of, what are we doing? It makes you really, really miss the days where you could just sit down, watch Florida State baseball, J.C. Flowers would come in and clean and (laughs) clean up pitch, and we'd be like, all right, it's fine, everything's good, he's got it, you know, we don't have that anymore, it's kind of a luxury to have a really nice clean up pitcher these days, I guess. And, And you talk about philosophy, uh, that's a great point. And we also talk about, you know, eight pitchers coming in for one game. I, I know that Mike Martin Jr. is a huge, huge believer in lefty versus righty. He, yeah. he, uh, that too. It, he will make the entire lineup lefty, righty, lefty, righty, the entire way through. Uh, so that's not, um, that's something that's definitely notable. I don't think it was, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't think 11 really uh, cared about it to that extent. So uh, that's an excellent point from both of y'all um, in that regard. But, you know, we, we look at their record. They're 24-15. And, oh, no ties. Because there's no ties in baseball. Uh, there's no crying either. But uh, We've gone to 17 innings. There's no ties. That's true. There's exactly. <laughs> they're 20-7 they're, they're and seven at home, and then they are 4-7 and seven and away. So uh, we're at this point. We're looking at Florida State. And, you know, we see that they're getting the job done at home for the most part. You're, you're winning, uh, you know, three-fourths of your games at home. So it's those weekend, or it's those, it's those weekday start, or excuse me, those week weekday games. Excuse me, uh, that they're on the road that they really need to focus on and, and really uh, just bring it back to basics. Yeah. So um, you know, like they're going to Stetson May third, and Stetson's always been a, historically a, a good ball club. So. Uh, this roller coaster of a season, maybe they can get it going, starting with that road win. Yeah, something you brought up, Amanda, that I had never really thought of before. You mentioned, especially when they have uh, Parker Messick and then maybe take a, uh, a Bryce Hubbard or another starter that's working deep into a game. And, and with the rhythm is, is the word that you used, and uh, they get used to the rhythm. They won a bunch of games. They were looking really good at the beginning of the year before conference play, and then things kind of started to hit a rocky road. You don't usually think of rhythm in baseball, but I do wonder if that's something – They've had trouble adjusting to some of these games. It seems like all the ones that I go to, there's you know three or four replay reviews, and you make all these pitching changes, and the game is moving really slow. And maybe these guys have just had a difficulty getting uh, settled in. And then Jackson, something that you pointed out, you know, um, 
with the bullpen, whether you look at 11 as the coach or in years past, it seems like they, they were used to leaning on They had their guys. You know, you have a one-run lead in the ninth, this is your guy. You bring him out of the pen and you roll with them. And that's something this year that has been a challenge potentially more than anything else. They tried Jonas Scalero uh, to very mixed results. They tried Carson Montgomery before making him a starter. So um, when you when you go into a game and, and you don't know what you're going to do with a two-run lead or a one-run lead late in the game, that, that could be something that's difficult to work with. And, and 100%. And if you don't have confidence in your guys, it's hard to manage a ball club, 100%. And... Uh, you know, you, you really look for some senior leadership. You really look for some guys that have been there, that have done it. And uh, in terms of guys that have been there and done it, it's kind of hard to find uh, on this team um, in terms of the bullpen. So uh, some guys, I think, that need to grow up here soon. Yeah, they're, they're going to have, uh, for, for finals week purposes, they're not playing a midweek game. They'll have TCU. We'll talk about, uh, we'll wrap up kind of the baseball when we come back. But it is time for the Seminole segment, 7.30 at halftime. So, Jack Oliaro with the report, off to you. Jack Oliaro is the name, and Lake County is for the lame. Audience, how many of you think eating the butt end on a loaf of bread is for the strong? Show of hands, now. Well, you're wrong. Eating the butt end is for the uninspired, hopeless, and for the leeches that call Mario Cristobal their leader. With that out of the way, let's go to Joanne Graff Field, where the Florida State softball team welcomed the 20th-ranked Clemson Tigers on senior weekend. FSU was coming off a road weekend series win against North Carolina and took care of business at home midweek against the Stetson Hatters. Thursday night was certified fresh as the Knolls came out on top in a 5-4 thriller where Kaylee Harding singled into left, allowing Amaya Ross to run home from third for the walk-off victory. Friday night was every bit as dramatic as Thursday's as Clemson's Mackenzie Clark hit three home runs to single-handedly put the Tigers up 4-2, but a five-run sixth inning took the Knolls out of their 4-2 hole and into the lead at 7-4. Clemson earns two more runs in the final inning, and with runners in scoring position, reliever Catherine Sandcock strikes out the final batter and garners in another amazing victory. Sunday saw a complete domination as FSU tamed the Tigers with a 6-0 win, a clean sweep over a top-20 conference foe. The Knowles will host the ninth-rate Oklahoma State Cowgirls with one game Thursday evening and a doubleheader on Friday. Graduating seniors Megan Tomlinson, Sydney Sherrill, and Danielle Watson were recognized for their time here in Tallahassee, and we thank them for their time, achievements, and memories during their careers here in Tally. Uh, switching bats for clubs, we switched to golf, where the Florida State men's team competed just west of us in Panama City for the ACC championship. Friday and Saturday were standard play, which saw the Nose place third overall, hitting 19 under, the standouts being sophomore Brett Roberts, who led the Seminoles shooting 7 under, Michael Sakane and Frederick Yetrup at 5-under, and Cole Anderson at 2-under. Third place meant they would swing on Sunday in the ACC semifinals and match up against the George Tech Yellow Jackets. The Knowles lost to the Jackets with a score of one win, one tie, and three losses. Frederick Yetrup was the lone victor for Florida State, while Cole Anderson was tied with his opponent. But that's going to do it for this week's edition of Seminole Segment. William and Jackson, run it. And we're back at 7.33 on this Monday night, thanks to Jack Oliaro giving us our seminal segment. Just a couple of notes as we finish out the baseball discussion. In the last 10 games, Jordan Carrion, not only does he have an eight-game eight hitting streak going right now, but he's 17 of his last 35, nine runs batted in and nine walks. So not only is he hitting the ball well, but he's seeing the ball uh, pretty well. Also, Trayton Rank uh, got his 18th start this weekend at his fifth different position. He started at second base. First base, third base, left field, shortstop. So he's been a guy that's all over the place 
Uh, one of the games that I covered uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think he had three or four hits, and he was a hit shy of the cycle. And uh, Meat was talking about him after the game, and he was a guy that played football in high school, just a real do-it-all athlete kind of guy. And he's a freshman this year. He hasn't gotten a whole lot of playing time, but as you look toward the future, maybe even as, as close as, as this season comes uh, to an end, Trayton Rank could be making more of an impact there. Tyler Martin has reached safely in all 13 games that he's played. He actually has a 15-game on base streak dating back to last season. So uh, consistent mainstay. He missed a lot of time at the beginning of the year uh, with an injury. I don't know that he's found his position in the field necessarily yet, been used primarily as a DH, but uh, a guy that can an on-base machine. And when you're looking to generate runs, especially if you can get Terrell and some of those power bats going uh, behind him, that could be uh, a recipe for success moving forward. And then uh, some of the woes this week, the Knolls committed nine errors in, f in four games this week, including five on Sunday's loss to Clemson, and they also allowed eight home runs, most of those from the bullpen, so um, not a lot. Some of the hitters are doing well, but their, their defense is, is playing awfully sloppy, and uh, they're also giving up a lot of home runs. And uh, right now they're fourth in the ACC Atlantic. They're 11-10 and 10 in ACC play. And they uh, all they have this week is a weekend series at home against number 20th, uh, the TCU Horned Frogs will be coming into town. So Florida State still off the rankings, and they're going to be playing another team that are in the rankings as they look to uh, kind of get things back on track. Uh, but with that being said, we're going to kind of shift gears over to NBA playoffs a little bit as, as that we've been kind of in the thick of things uh, with that. We talked about kind of the first game and some of the play and stuff. Um, we have a score update after one quarter. The Boston Celtics are up 30-26. to 26. Boston is up 3-0 in that series. And as they look to complete the four-game sweep in Brooklyn, guys, we'll start there. Um, ben Simmons was, was ruled out for this game with, with back soreness, they called it. Uh, he's been ramped up the last 10 days, and it looked like maybe he would finally get in the starting lineup after that trade deadline deal that sent him from Philadelphia. Um, it, it's been a wild ride for, for Ben Simmons, uh, dating back to, to last offseason. He said that he wasn't really going to play. He sat out all the offseason workouts and all of this season with what he called you know, mental health concerns. He's currently in a battle to try and get his $20 million that Philly is, is tr you know, trying not to pay him because he didn't play any games for them this year. He gets traded to Philadelphia after the Nets and James Harden their way. And I, I don't know what the Nets were really thinking with Simmons, if they expected him to be part of the cards. Um, but when you ship Harden away, you're getting kind of thin there because not you had to give up a lot of guys to get Harden. And then you're just talking about KD and Kyrie. And both of those guys had missed plenty of games with their own reason. So um, Ben Simmons was a guy that as playoff time rolled around was in the back of everyone's mind. Uh, but he is out for this game. And uh, with the with the Nets down four points after one quarter, this might be it uh, for his 2021-22 season. He's 25 years old. And he's got three years, $114 million left on his contract, a three-time All-Star. But that'll be interesting to see kind of where the Nets have to go from here. Uh, but then you look at the guys that are actually on the floor. Kevin Durant, he's been playing about 40 minutes a game for the last couple weeks as the Nets have been making the push to get in the play-in tournament, then win the play-in tournament, and then here in the series. Uh, against the number two seed uh, Boston Celtics. Um, he made 19 shots in the first three games compared to 17 turnovers, so not good by any means. He went 0 for 10 from the field in the second half of game two. And then in game three, he didn't shoot the ball at all in the last 11 minutes to give you an idea of how the Celtics defense has been able to shut him down. Um, 
for the Nets, this is the problem, guys. This is what happens uh, when you don't have any depth. Everyone talks about in the NBA, got to have your stars. But right now, it doesn't look like Brooklyn has anything behind them. And that's true, but real quick, before we, we get into to Brooklyn's depth, has there ever been this many prima donnas in the NBA <laughs> at one time? I, I don't think so. I think we're at the, the pinnacle, if you can even call it that. And, you know, it's kind of from the NFL, it's kind of uh, transferred into the NBA, of you know, holding out and just I'm not going to play whatever happens. Uh, free agents doing whatever their next season, not free agents, but players you know, with one year left on their contract, you have no clue whether they're going to play or not. I've never seen anything like this, but you're right. When it, it comes to, you know, the Nets trading away all their pieces to get James Harden, and then they have to trade him away to get Ben Simmons, well, they didn't really have depth when they had all the, you know, the big three there. But when you, you that, as funny as it is, you know, Heat fans cannot go 20 seconds without talking about their culture. But uh, to some extent, they're right. You're yeah. right. Um, they have been consistent. Eric Spolstra there has been consistent for the past decade. And it, it's if he, he does not get the credit he deserves, um, but the idea of a culture is not lost in the NBA. And uh, I'm really glad to see you know teams like the Bucks and and teams like the Suns make it far based on you know really solid pieces. It is interesting, the, kind of the point that we are really in all sports, everything starting to come back to the to the median. We saw, you know, LeBron started off with the Miami Heat when he created the super team there. You know, then Kevin Durant went to the, the Warriors. There's been a lot of teams in between then that have, you know, and I'm with my team. They drafted me. I played there, but I want to go play with my friends. And I'm going to go uh, to this city and play there. And then, as you said, you mentioned the Miami Heat, you mentioned the Milwaukee Bucks. All of a sudden, these teams are, no, we're not necessarily going to chase all the superstars. We're going to build homegrown talent and get them used to playing together. And they, they're a complete team, you know, the exact opposite of the Brooklyn Nets. The Miami Heat have probably the deepest bench maybe in the NBA. And, and they're, they're putting a, a good whooping on the Atlanta Hawks right now. And a lot of people like them maybe to win the Eastern Conference. So it is interesting as you look at because the Nets were the odds-on favorite, I believe, to win it all this year. And when all is said and done, they're looking at a seven seed and, and a four-game uh, four uh, bounce out of the first round of the playoffs. Uh, you look at the Boston side of things because with the Nets, uh, that kind of steals some of the thunder away from what the Celtics have been able to do. But I, I gave you the numbers about Kevin Durant. This is a, probably the best basketball player in the world, and this Celtics defense has completely taken him out of this series. Uh, Marcus Smart, Defensive Player of the Year. Jason Tatum has played excellent defense. Um, so they're really rolling right now. And... You know, a, a lot of times, I, I remember when Kevin Durant decided to go to the Warriors in 2016. It's funny he announced on July 4th, so it's pretty easy to remember. But I remember everybody, you know, saying, whether it was on Instagram comments or on Twitter or whatever, it doesn't matter. You know, there's only one ball. There's four of them, but there's only one ball. And what made that Warriors team so successful compared to, like, the, the Nets or, um, you know, some of these other squads that play iso ball is... The Warriors had a great offensive scheme based on sharing the ball, based on finding the best shot, uh, really focusing on good team fundamental basketball. And when you look at the Nets, when you, when you look at, okay, let's just throw some talent together and hope it works, the NBA is proving that it, it doesn't. It doesn't work. And as someone that, you know, grew up playing wide basketball, 
it really makes me happy. In Lake Re County, you played? I did, yes. Okay, yes. okay, just wanted to clarify. Yes, I mean, I've played <laughs> basketball in other counties. I mean, just pick up basketball. Like, I played in Tallahassee, but yes, in yeah, Lake against, County. Yeah, against Amanda, actually, right? Oh, that I is did. right. Yeah, that, she, that she hit a couple threes in my face. There you face. go. There's, <laughs> there's the segue to the beginning of the show right there. That's the other yeah. thing I could have written. Amanda Golson, uh, pick up basketball star, at least for V89. Uh, she makes the, the rest of us look pretty awful. Yeah. See, Kylie, that's what they call in the industry, and I'm sure you know this, a callback. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, I actually, you know, to add on to this callback, Jackson, <laughs> um, I have a question for you. All uh, right. I hope I All have right? an answer. Being, well, that would be splendid if you did. <laughs> um, being that we are in the, quote, pinnacle of prima donnas mm -hmm. in the NBA, I just have one question, perhaps the most important question of this show right now, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm ready. How does that affect LeBron's legacy. There it is. That, I don't think that question's ever been asked before. <laughs> Honestly, I, I think it helps LeBron's legacy because, you know, LeBron was able to put together a super team and and play good basketball, you know, with Eric Spolstra, kind of like the Warriors, like I mentioned earlier. And uh, comparing to these teams now that are trying to put these super teams, super teams together, and yeah, they're selling tickets, so the ownership doesn't mind, but they're not winning championships. They're selling tickets, not chips. And, however, this is my, my, my biggest problem with LeBron in Miami. Uh, you know, he, he loses to an old Mavericks team. They were good. He loses to an old Mavericks team. Uh, he goes 2-2 two two in Miami with a super team. Um, in my opinion, that takes him out of the GOAT discussion. If he went 3-1, and one, maybe he gets back in it. And him coming back 3-1 against the 73-1 Warriors, uh, that gets him back in there. Uh, now, that makes him certainly legendary, but him going 2-2 two two in Miami is such a taint on his career. Yeah, we, we talked a lot about Golden State just here recently, and it, it ties in to, to Kevin Durant as well. I think the, the super team that they created in Golden State kind of took our eyes away from the truth because they had superstars, absolutely, the all-stars all yeah, over the Yeah, redrafted, though, in that core. Right, and not only that, but but Steve, Steve Kerr and, and the offensive system that he implemented – um, the way that they were able to play as a team, and, and they really did a good job of spreading the basketball. And you talked about Brooklyn, and they're trying to do all this iso ball stuff, and Kevin Durant can't even get the ball because he's double teamed. Um, and, and so I, I think you can't just look at it. It's it's not just names, but it's you know who's the coach, who do they have around that's directing everything. And uh, that's another thing too. Steve Nash in Brooklyn, he got a lot of heat early in the season when it was clear that he really was lost and didn't know what he was doing. I wonder how much heat he'll get. You know, maybe if they lose this game and, and they're 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 one and done in the playoffs, if he starts getting on the hot seat, and it seems like with these super teams, you know, doesn't matter who the coach is, they change just about every year. So maybe they boot him out as they try and kind of reload. Um, well, that's going to be for up to Kevin season. Durant, right? It, it's always the players that, that decide who the coach is, which is absolutely absurd, um, the way that, that things have been in, in that league lately. But. It looks like, by all means, even if the Nets somehow win this game and, and send it back to Boston, that it will be the Celtics advancing, and maybe they're a team that could challenge the Heat. That would be a good series to see. Uh, but another game that's on tonight is Game 5 between the Raptors and the 76ers. Now, Philadelphia leads that series 3-1. to one. I don't think it's really in any danger um, as far as Toronto, but it's worth discussing, mostly because uh, Toronto's own, Scotty Barnes, won Rookie of the Year. You'll remember him. You mean Tallahassee's own? Uh, Tallahassee's own. Toronto's no, no, no. Zone. West Palm Beach's own. Uh, West Palm Beach's own. Thank you. No, oh, no. okay. All right. All right. She got us. She did. <laughs> He's been everywhere, but now uh, added to his list, he is the, uh, the NBA Rookie of the Year. Uh, he missed two games in this series. Now, 
uh, Fred Van Vliet is out. But before we get into any of that, we can just talk about this is the first show we've done since. Wait, William, I, I got to stop you there. Where did Scotty Barnes go to high school his senior year? Senior year? Mm-hmm. Was it not university school? Was it Montverde? Or Montverde. Y'all know where Montverde is? Orlando. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it's in Lake County. This. It's in Lake County, baby. Woo! Started his career at Cardinal oh High School, West Palm Beach. Yeah, there but it's is. not about how you start; it's about how you finish. Come on now. Is it? Yes. <laughs> that's that's a topic for another time. Excellent rebuttal, there, Jackson. <laughs> and right now, it's looking like uh, Scotty Barnes might finish this year uh, on the losing side of things. But I it, this caught me by surprise is how many people were surprised about Scotty Barnes winning Rookie of the Year. We talked, we did an award preview about a month ago, and it seemed like a shoe-in. Maybe we're Tallahassee people and we're biased, but um, Amanda, we talked about this a little bit before the show. There was a couple of, of candidates out there, but, but why was it a surprise to so many people that Barnes took the trophy home? Honestly, I have no idea. I thought from, you know, towards the beginning of the season, like he's been the most consistent, I think. Some of the other guys on the ladder weren't as consistent as he was and you know took a while to find their footings I think right off the bat he found his footings in Toronto and made an impact early on in the season uh which you know put him towards the top of the ladder for pretty much the whole season honestly I don't know why people are surprised I I, like all of us thought it was pretty obvious um you know maybe it was because the Raptors went further than some of the other teams that these guys are on um you know Evan Mobley with Cleveland, you know, they didn't make the playoffs as far, you know, like maybe, and even though, you know, Scotty got hurt, but, you know, his team, his name is, you know, in the playoffs at, in the discussion, you know, is that a reason for him to have won? You know, I think it adds to it, you know, it, if you're taking your team far and you're contributing, I don't think it should be the only thing that is, you know, talked about when you're talking about rookie of the year. Um, because, I mean, there's guys, there was guys on the ladder who were, you know, not to plug, but the Thunder's own Josh Giddy, who won three out of the four Western Conference Rookie of the Month and then got injured, unfortunately, and completely fell off Rookie of the Year talk. You know, obviously he's not at a great team. You know, the Thunder weren't great this year, but he still stood out, which is, like, why, you know, this whole, it's it's a whole, the whole Rookie of the Year thing. is It's a lot, but... I'm I'm proud of Scotty. I think he deserves it. He's been consistent throughout the whole year, even you know having injuries in the playoffs. But I'm yeah. I mean, he deserves it. That's I don't know why people were sh- surprised. Honestly, I thought he was a shoe in since the beginning of the season. I'd like to note that Amanda is completely <laughs> unbiased here, as she is certainly not sitting to my left wearing a Josh Giddy jersey right now. Absolutely Can't not. Ab- absolutely absolutely not. not. But. As far as uh, Scotty Barnes goes, I I think, honestly, it's not that we're biased. It's just that we had firsthand accounts of greatness. Yeah. That's what that's what I would say, because there was a clear difference when Scotty Barnes was playing and when we saw those knee-high socks on the court <laughs> versus when we did not. So yeah. that's that's honestly what I'd say about that. Name value always plays a part in, in awards, and maybe we make uh, too much of them. Uh, Amanda, I, I think it's interesting when, in regards to to Rookie of the Year, why it's the team success that's reflective. Like I get for MVP, like you can't be LeBron this season and not make the playoffs and be the MVP because if you're so valuable, why is your team out of a, a, a you know playoffs where 
just about two-thirds of the teams make it. But if you're a rookie, how can you be expected to come in and turn your team around? So you talk about a guy like Josh Giddy, and I, I suppose if he had stayed healthy the whole year, it would have been him. But that, that is a bit surprising to me with, with someone like Mobley that just because Cleveland didn't make the playoffs and they were in the playing tournament that that somehow disqualified him. I mean, shouldn't it be more about kind of your numbers and, and how you how you play versus kind of the whole team, especially if you're a young player or a rookie? No, yeah, I think so. I was I had conversation with people who were saying, like kind of towards the middle of the season, like, oh, who's going to win it? And it's like, oh, whoever team goes the furthest, which shouldn't, again, like I said, should not be a deciding factor. I think if you're putting up consistent numbers, you know, I mean, that's the whole preface of the award, Rookie of the Year. You know, it's not, like you said, it's not MVP. It's not whoever's taking their team the furthest. I think it's whoever has the most consistent stat line and is, you know, making a name for themselves so early in their career as being rookies. I think that's definitely what it should come down to and is not really, uh, like, whatever team is the furthest along. Um, I don't I don't know if that had anything to do with it this year, though, with Scotty. You know, like I said, he's was consistent throughout the whole year. Yes, uh, Toronto's in the playoffs, but I, th- I just think he showed the most throughout, like, the whole season that deserved it the most. Little stat nugget here about Scotty Barnes. He scored 20, or excuse me, he scored double-digit points in all but 13 of his 74 appearances, and he also grabbed double-digit rebounds 12 times while dishing out 5-plus assists another 21 times. He also was shooting at 49% from the field and 30% from three-point range. But I think the main thing we're missing in this conversation is how good of a defensive player he is. Uh, yeah. The length and the size and his ability to run the floor with anybody. He can guard any position. Um Except for maybe those seven footers, but you know he, he he can guard one through four for sure, yeah. and uh, his ability to play both ends of the floor I think really gave him the edge um, over anybody else. You talk about his defense. That's how he got hurt. He got tangled up with Joel Embiid down low, and he got his ankle rolled on and missed a couple of games in that series. I was impressed that he only was out for two games. He came back and and I think played you know about twenty minutes. Was scored in single digits, but uh, I, I think Toronto is is kind of outmatched uh, as it is anyway. And now Fred Van Vliet looks like he's going to miss probably the rest of this series. So uh, Toronto and and our Scotty Barnes is probably going to be sent home. But are the Seventy Sixers right now, the guy that we just talked about in in regards to Brooklyn and James Harden, uh, Philly goes all in on him, giving some role players, and they finally are able to get Ben Simmons out of town. Um, Tyrese Maxey is absolutely catching fire in this series. He, I think, had a 39-point game in Game 1, so he's emerged. Uh, and Bede hit a, a game-winner, a three-pointer in overtime. And then you've got Tobias Harris, who they traded for a couple years ago, Danny Green. This is a good starting five, uh, and they're playing really well against, I think, a solid, uh, as we talk about, like a Heat or a Celtics. Not to the same level, but I think the Raptors, under head coach Nick Nurse, kind of play that, that team-style basketball. So it was a test for Philly, but so far... Uh, they've passed with flying colors. The the third and final series that's going on tonight, uh, the nightcapper, Utah Jazz and Dallas Mavericks, game five tonight. The series is tied two games apiece. Uh, Dallas, uh, they didn't have Luka Doncic to start this series. He was playing down the stretch as they were trying to secure a home court advantage, and he got hurt and missed some time. But Dallas has gone 2-1 and one in the series without Doncic, the first three. He came back in game four in Utah, and they lost uh, by one point. It was back and forth. Donovan Mitchell was hitting shots like you wouldn't believe. So was Luka, but uh, ultimately it was the Jazz able to come uh, on the winning end of that one and tie it up. It's back in Dallas tonight. 
Um, and I, it's fine if no one has any thoughts. I just thought that was interesting. Uh, it's a good series, and I think whoever wins uh, might be a threat in the West. We'll see. And then there's three series that, give or take, they're almost over. The the Miami Heat and Atlanta Hawks. Miami's up three to one. Uh, Milwaukee three to one over the Bulls. Uh, shout out to Luke Hazen. And then the Warriors three to one over the Nuggets. And unless anyone has anything to say about those three series, we'll kind of move yeah, on. Yeah, William. Let, let's go back to the Jazz and the Mavericks. Um, we've seen Trey Young win some playoff series. Obviously, he went into the the Lions Den in Madison Square Garden last year uh, and became uh, one of the greatest NBA villains in a while. Like what? Probably one of those villains you cheer for. It was hard to explain, but. Uh, when do we stop giving Luka Doncic the, you know, new to the league clause? You know, because he's, he's been with the Mavericks for, what, two, three years now? This is his third season with the Mavericks? I think so. Him and Trey Young are the same class, I Correct. think, both yep. at yep. that point. Because they got traded for each other, exactly. So, you know, if we've seen Donovan Mitchell have some success going deep into the playoffs, um, but we haven't seen Luka Doncic do that yet. And granted, he's been hurt. A little bit throughout the series, but if Luka Doncic doesn't pull this series out for the Mavericks, are we? What do we say about him? Yeah, I mean, a first round exit would be a big deal. Also, the fact that I pointed out they went two and one without him, so they were playing well. And if you say they play worse with him there, maybe you factor the injury into it. But that's interesting. That that one point loss in Utah. Yeah, he was hitting big step back threes. But he was getting obliterated defensively. I mean, they were running around him. He's not a very fast guy. He's a big-framed guy that just kind of puts up shots. Not extremely athletic. So um, if he affects how they play team defense and that sort of thing, that's certainly a discussion that you would have about him as it pertains to Dallas uh, moving forward. Uh, we're kind of up against it. We've got four minutes left of the show. But, I mean, the two biggest series going on right now, Wolves and Grizzlies and Pelican Suns, and I'll throw it out to the panel. Uh, anyone, if you guys want to put any thoughts on those. Both series are tied two games apiece. Grizz in five. That's fine. <laughs> really? Yeah. What makes you say that? <laughs> that's No, that's all I'm going to say. Just gut yeah. feeling. Yeah. Just, all right. Uh, Pelicans and Suns. I'm going Suns and six. Not not riding the uh, Alvarado wave too much yet. I think the Pelicans, uh, they need that last piece. They they not, well, they need a little bit more than, you know, one piece, but. They need Zion. I don't know what's going on with Zion. I don't know if he's. If I think he's, he's ready out. to play. They're, like they're, there's always videos of him dunking windmill yeah, style and, you know, and the breaking the too. floor. Do you see that one? Yeah, I mean, he's. <laughs> I don't know why he's not playing. I don't know if he's holding out. I don't know what's going on with him, but. Uh, I think they're holding him out. If anything, yeah. could be because yeah. I think he wants to play. If you'd asked him, you know, a chance to knock off the one seed. This is kind of what you you play for. And it, it kind of reminds me of uh, Miles Jack when he was getting drafted uh, by the Jaguars mention uh what was that was that Jalen Ramsey's year I want to say it was Miles Jack getting drafted by the Jags I'm, I'm just trying to figure out this parallel right so, now so Miles Jack I remember this <laughs> where, Miles where Jack are you pulling Miles Jack out of on right the, now on the night of the draft he posted a video of him like oh, doing a 360 windmill kind of like Zion mm-hmm. and I think it was his knee was wrong, but he basically was just like guys I'm ready like draft me and he, he falls to the Jaguars the Jaguars had a great draft that year Obviously, they uh, don't do very well in keeping them. But um, ouch! Sorry, but uh, the Suns—they're a legit team. Went to the finals last year. I, I got Suns in six. 
Yeah, and, and that's a huge story with Devin Booker. I think the hamstring is going to miss two or three weeks. I think since 2007, since they went to the 17 format, the one seed has lost to an eight, I think, three or four times. Now, this one would have maybe an asterisk if Devin Booker's out, but he's had injury history, and like Doncic, maybe that's a conversation we're having a week from now. But uh, a couple of minutes to close out the show, NFL Draft this Thursday, 8 o'clock, your top five, your Jaguars are on the clock right now. Detroit Lions, Houston Texans, Jets, and Giants. Both the Jets and the Giants have two picks inside the top ten. It'll be interesting to see if they trade out, but it could be uh, a big night for both of the teams uh, in New York. Uh, but we'll start with you, Kylie. The Jaguars on the clock. There's a lot of places they could go. The odds-on favor in Vegas right now, Trayvon Walker, the defensive lineman from Georgia. They also certainly need offensive line help. What do you think uh, Trent Balke and company are going to do come Thursday night? I love that you phrased it that way, um, because I know what I would do. Um, I never know if that's going to be the same thing that Trent Balky is going to do. Uh, I don't think any Jaguars fan can really align themselves with him in our thoughts, always. Um, but honestly, I I really want Evan Neal, to be quite honest with you. Um, I'm feeling really good about him. I think that that's someone that we could definitely build around. I definitely want us to look more so on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, this isn't really an epic year for the draft, um, so definitely going to see just like a lot more like gritty players just coming into that kind of uh, people that can make a difference on the other side of the ball there, rather than you know Jacksonville's history of just blowing tons of money on quarterback deals that you know they might work, they might not. That's <laughs> that's kind of our mentality towards every draft pick is, well, well let's see. All right. <laughs> okay, so question real quick. This is for everybody here. Uh, SI right now has Jermaine Johnson going at 15 to the Eagles. Are y'all going over or under for Jermaine Johnson at 15? 15. I think I read somewhere someone put him at what, 11 or 9, like higher. I've seen him. Yeah, I've seen him top 10. I've seen yeah. him. I've seen him as far as, you know, 18 or 17. This is one of those drafts. Well, y'all go ahead and answer first. I'm going to say over. Over as in higher than 15? Like better than 15 or worse? Like better. Yeah. Like okay. not top 10, but yeah. in that, or those early. <laughs> I was wondering what over and under meant in that situation. I was like, is yeah, over I a better pick or is under not. <laughs> interesting I'll, there. I'll take the over only because, I mean, most teams' draft boards probably have three defensive linemen ahead of him. Aiden Hutchinson will probably go two to Detroit. Kayvon Thibodeau has been, you know, the consensus number one overall pick since he came out of high school, and now he'll probably be a top 15. And then Trayvon Walker, who right now, who Vegas thinks will be taken by Jacksonville one overall. So maybe if the run for defensive line goes early, he could sneak in, but I don't, I don't know if teams are going to go that D-line heavy to start, so I'll probably take... Uh, the over on that. It'll be interesting draft. Crazy stuff always happens, especially in the top ten. There's some good position groups. Always interested to see uh, if the when the quarterback run happens. Kenny Pickett from Pitt might be the first off the board, but we'll. There's always more to talk about on the recaps. We'll be back in some capacity next Monday. We're still kind of getting our our summer plans, but we are intending to be on the air at 89.7 and WVFS. Uh, edu every night from Monday from seven to eight o'clock. So as we put a wrap. On this program, for William Haynes, for my new co-host Jackson Bakich and Kylie Brennan and Amanda Golson, who we had on panel tonight, and Jack Oliaro behind the glass. This is your new crew. You've been listening to Tomahawk Talk. Next up, Ryan Rezin with new release. You're you're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.